Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we're talking about Troy Weaver. What else will we be talking about? Uh, ben Gulker and I discuss why we both love the Weaver hire, what we think he will prioritize as he takes control of the team, and what roster changes Weaver could and could not choose to make this offseason. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this offseason. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, pleased as always to be joined on this Father's Day by my co-host, Ben Gulker. What's up, Ben? Laz, I'm doing good. It's my third Father's Day. One, two, third Father's Day. Uh, It's been a great day so far. Belated happy Father's Day to anyone who's listening out there, all my fellow dads. Hope you had a great day. Uh, So I'm doing good. How are you doing, Laz? I'm doing good. I have not joined the ranks of the dads quite yet, but I am dad aged, so I feel very dad <laughs> in spirit on this day. You can you're still allowed to have the dad bod too. Like once you get to the dad <laughs> age. So Yeah, we, that that prerequisite has been hit, I assure you. <laughs> but uh, but it's good to talk to you, Ben, and it's even better to have piston stuff to talk about. Uh, big news this week, the Pistons hired a general manager. Troy Weaver, the former vice president of basketball operations for the Oklahoma City Thunder, is the new GM for the Pistons. It's a four-year deal, according to Woj, which was a little surprising that he didn't get the full five years. But uh, still, I think this is a a very good move for the team. Ben, what did you think of the hire? Laz, I love this hire. Uh, You know, in some ways, it's kind of nice to know that the Pistons brass is listening to the podcast. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we... We're all about this a few weeks ago, the last time we talked. We talked about some of the reasons why, uh, and I'll kind of give my high-level reasons why. I'm, I'm really excited about this. I think this is a really good thing. You know, first one, and obviously he's been with the Thunder for 12 years. If you kind of throw out that first 08-09 rebuilding season, they've really had 11 very successful seasons, 11 consecutive winning seasons. And again, if you throw out that 08-09 season, you're looking at a 64% winning percentage over that time frame. That is impressive stuff. And OKC, I think, kind of flies under the radar a little bit, given all of the talent that they have had depart. But really, they've done a fantastic job of, of keeping the team competitive. And speaking of that talent, I mean, just a quick list of names. Here's a bunch of the guys They've acquired during that time frame Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Ibaka, Paul, Gallinari, George, Oladipo, and I'd even throw in some of the lesser talent like Stephen Adams, Jeremy Lamb, Cephalosha, Gilgis Alexander. I mean, that's a whole lot of talent to have over the course of a 12-year span, and this led to a whole lot of winning. 
And then, as I mentioned, they've done a really good job of retooling on the fly, even after some of those literally generation level talents departed, right? So you've seen Durant, Harden, Westbrook all leave town, but they've still managed to be a playoff team season after season. And I think lastly, the thing I'm excited about, everyone who's anyone in the NBA who's talking about this acquisition is saying something like, he has a keen eye for talent. And, uh, you know, put that right up on the top of the list for me if we're talking about what we want in a general manager. So, Laz, I'm really excited about this. I think this is a great hire, and I'm really looking forward to the future. Me too, Ben. I Even when just like saying out loud the names that the Thunder have had across uh, Troy Weaver's tenure, as you just did, was just like really impressive and even more so impressive when you consider like some of those dudes like fed into one another, right. In a, in a sort of like chain of events, right. Like, Oh, uh, they turned Serge Ibaka into Victor Oladipo into Montes Sabonis uh, functionally. And then they turned Victor Oladipo into Montes Sabonis into Paul George functionally. And then they turned Paul George into like Shea Gillius Alexander and like nine first round picks like that, that level of kind of, maintenance of talent across multiple years is something I think that's really impressive. Um, they got Paul George to resign, to recommit to Oklahoma city uh, in a, at a time when like he was only there for one year. It was not a guarantee that that would happen. That was really impressive to me as a uh, recruitment effort. Um, and then I think one thing that Greg Kelser pointed out in the kind of Fox sports Detroit discussion of the Weaver hire that I really liked and that really spoke to me was that, you know, Troy Weaver has done this the hard way, right? He's not a former NBA player. I don't even think he played division one basketball. He kind of rose his way from the DC AAU circles to low level college jobs, to the Syracuse job, to the NBA. Like he, he's seen the game at, at every level and uh, across all those levels, it, like that, that keen eye for talent has always been the thing that differentiated him. And so I like the fact that this guy kind of worked for everything he's got and, you know, not necessarily that other guys don't work for what they have. But, you know, as a guy who wasn't an ex-player, wasn't an ex-coach, like had to integrate himself into the league from an outsider's perspective and has done very well in that way. I like that work ethic. I like that he's bringing that work ethic uh, to Detroit. Now, of course, we we know that Troy Weaver will be here. We don't know what the other front office machinations behind that will be. Uh, we've already seen Malik Rose uh, depart the Detroit Pistons for a job with the National Bas- Basketball Association. We don't know what this means for Pat Garrity. We don't know what this means for Greg Polinsky, for example. Um, Ben, who do you think some uh, potential assistant general managers under Troy Weaver could be? Well, that's a great question. And I I think, you know, there's probably a pretty wide net being cast right now. I think it's going to depend a little bit on how they choose to structure this front office, right? We've still got Ed Stefanski sticking around. We don't know who's going to be responsible for what. Uh, But but I think obviously they're going to want to bring in um, someone who understands the salary cap, right? So um, 
certainly Oklahoma City has been creative over the years during Weaver's tenure there. And I think that's going to be critical for the Pistons as they look at a true rebuild. You've obviously got the elephant in the room, which is Blake Griffin's contract. And you've also got a number of young players, Kennard, Brown, Sekou, Svi, any new draft talent that's brought in the next year or two. You know, those, those guys have all provided a tremendous amount of value as they've been on their rookie scale contracts. But now you've got to start to make some big decisions about what sort of money you're going to commit to them after they're done with their rookie scale. So, you know, I don't know who that guy is. Maybe you've got some specific names you're thinking of, uh, but certainly I think we need to look at some, someone who's got some real expertise related to the salary cap. Yeah. I know there's a couple guys that around the league that are known for their prowess with the the salary cap, um, like Justin Zanuck in, in Utah and, you know, Troy Weaver has some connections in Utah. That would be, uh, that'd be something I would look into. Um, there's a, the Miami assistant general manager has like uh, he's infamous for uh, the creativity that Miami has shown over the last decade to kind of maintain that team uh, with the salary cap. But I'm not entirely sure what, how available he is, for example. But I think you, you did hit the nail on the head that um, you know across the league, like when we looked at the Oklahoma city thunder, like Troy Weaver was responsible for player personnel and Sam Presti handled like the salary cap and the salary cap machinations. So now with that dynamic reversed in, De- in Detroit, uh, Troy Weaver has to find his version of um, of Sam Presti, of a guy who can uh, offer like a lot of things to do with the salary cap, who knows the salary cap in and out, and how and that's going to be important, you know, for for this team as they rebuild. Um, I think that I don't think the uh, fortunately, like this team has a lot of cap space, so I don't think it's like a super pressing thing for the Detroit Pistons. But just that is going that sooner or later, that's going to be something that comes up, and uh, you you want to always be prepared for that. Like that was ultimately kind of what put Stan Van Gundy behind the eight ball in Detroit was his mismanagement of the salary cap, of overpaying for guys, of uh, you know signing guys to contracts they. Uh, didn't live up to in, in free agency. And so I, I think that that's, that's really important. That'll be an, an important aspect. And I'll be curious to see what names kind of arise out of that because, you know, we, we had a good list of names for general managers, but we have less of an idea of who the good, like assistant general manager candidates are. There are around the league. I will say like the, the guy that Pistons fans are going to bring up is, is Tayshawn. Um, and Tayshawn, his background is kind of also in player personnel and uh, player evaluation and development. And so um, with that also being like Weaver strength, I don't know if the way to go for the Pistons is kind of like strength on strength in that way. Um, I do know that fans would be really excited to bring Tayshawn home. It'd be really like nice to have Tayshawn back in the fold, but I don't know if from a, from like a value perspective, uh, if that like reflects what the Pistons most need, after the Troy Weaver hire. Does that make sense, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things we talked about when we talked about Tayshawn was um, the situation he's in right now is pretty solid. And there's still a lot of uncertainty uh, in Detroit in spite of the fact that we just made a great hire. So that absolutely makes sense. And, you know, like I said, I think what will be interesting to see is, and 
as fans, we're probably not going to get a lot of advanced preview of this, but how will they choose to f- structure the decision-making, right? So we still have Ed Stefanski on board. We've got a new general manager. You know, what will be the other positions that they will create or merge or, or any of those things, right? So uh, there, there could certainly be, in addition to just specific skill sets, they're looking for real specific p- uh, positions they want to fill out and and it's going to take some time to figure that out. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting, given the fact we're in a pandemic right now, is they're going to have a whole lot of extra time to do that. So that's actually going to work in their favor a little bit. No, absolutely. You're right. Uh, You brought up Stefanski. I guess now is a a good time to talk about Ed Stefanski. Um, There does seem to be like a little bit of concern about his committed or continued involvement with the Detroit Pistons from an operations perspective. I am not as concerned as other people, because I, I don't think Troy Weaver would take this job if he had to answer every, if he had to send every decision to Ed Stefanski before it got approved. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, but we have to give Ed Stefanski a measure of credit for putting this team in a position to where a talent like Troy Weaver is, is interested uh, in the job. And so what I guess, now is is now a good time to evaluate what uh, Ed Stefanski did as president, as functionally the president of basketball operations in your mind, Ben. Like you, Laz, I'm not as down on Stefanski as a lot of people seem to be. I think particularly you have to evaluate him in the context of what was he asked to do. And I think now that we're looking back in hindsight at his tenure, you know, from my perspective, it's pretty clear he was intended to be a short-term solution to try to keep the roster competitive without damaging any long-term flexibility, right? You mentioned um, Stan Van Gundy's critical mistake was this compounding series of overpayments to guys who ultimately didn't pan out, right? When you look at what Stefanski did, he obviously pulled off the Drummond trade. But if you think prior to that, look at the talent he hired, a lot of short-term contracts, um, decent draft picks, right? Obviously, Seku's still to be determined. But I think if you evaluate him in the context of him being this sort of bridge between Van Gundy and the next long-term solution, I really think he did a fine job. And look, I think if we're really honest about this, if it weren't for the injuries that this team suffered this season, all of us, I think, would be looking at Stefanski uh, in a much different way. I think we'd all have a much more favorable opinion of what he did uh, because I think this would have been a relatively successful team. And on top of that, um, if you assume that Andre Drummond still ends up getting traded, um, they're they're obviously much better positioned for Weaver to take over than they were when Stefanski took over for Stan Van Gundy. Yeah, I think that with with the knowledge that like Troy Weaver literally declined an interview with this team in 2018 uh, and now is like taking the job. I think we can, with the benefit of hindsight, say how, uh, how like poor a job, how unappealing a job this would be for any like serious general manager candidate. And so I think there's been like a lot of consternation about, well, Ed, uh, you know, he, he was uh, sent by, you know, Adam Silver as an advisor to, to, Tom Gores and told uh, and basically like installed himself as as president of basketball ops. 
And I think now we can look back and kind of say, like, well, you know, maybe the it was true that the Pistons couldn't get the candidates that they wanted to be general manager in the room. And so, you know, Tom Gores, after, you know, being rebuffed a couple of times, is just like, hey, like, you know, maybe we need something that's a little bit more short term or short term, like you mentioned, Ben. And so, you know, I think this has been a very, like, eventful couple of years for Ed Stefanski, like taking a, a team that was outside of the playoffs, uh, bringing them to the playoffs and then kind of deconstructing them on the fly this season. Um, I think that takes a, it takes a first off, like the approval of the owner, which is something that wasn't guaranteed. And it's good to have that relationship with the owner and be able to sit him and sit him down and say like, Hey, like this team is not going to be what you want it to be unless we start from ground zero and having him believe you. Um, and then also to to have this team in a position to uh, to have a guy like Troy Weaver be interested like that that's really big. Um, I, I you know I was really frustrated with the Andre Drummond trade when it happened. Um, I thought it was a bad from a pure value perspective. I thought you know thirty million dollars in cap space wasn't worth. Uh, what whatever the Pistons could do with thirty million dollars of cap space wasn't worth Andre Drummond. But if that thirty million dollars in cap space and the relatively clean books going forward are what attracted a candidate like Troy Weaver to Detroit, like I would do that trade absolutely. But uh, I, I got to give Stefanski credit for having the foresight to kind of see beyond what what I was seeing. I, I feel like I should apologize to Ed in in that way. Uh, speaking of other guys that are part of the Pistons uh, organizational structure, um, we know that with a new GM, often a new coach uh, comes down the pike. Uh, Dwayne Casey still has three more years on his contract with the Detroit Pistons. Um, ben, do you think the hire of Troy Weaver impacts Dwayne Casey at all? You know, I don't see why it would, Laz. Casey's obviously a very well-established coach widely respected around the league and look he's widely respected in the city of Detroit and really around Michigan I think what we've seen from him especially recently with uh, the leadership he's taken in terms of the franchise in terms of the league as a whole speaking out about racial violence about racial discrimination uh, I I respect him a lot I don't always agree with his basketball decisions but I respect the man and I can see why Uh, in a more intimate and personal level, why he's so well-respected around the league. I personally have to believe Tom Gore is is not itching to fire another coach and continue to pay his salary, (laughs) right? Um, And and I I would have to believe that that was part of the conversation uh, when they got to the point of fleshing out the nitty-gritty of the contract, right? Like, it's hard for me to believe they wouldn't talk to Weaver and say, Hey, you know, we've got Dwayne Casey. He's a fantastic coach. We believe in him. You know, we don't want to move in. We don't want to move on from him right now at this point in time. So I have to believe that was somewhat coordinated uh, and negotiated. So unless there's something really shocking and unanticipated, it's hard for me to see why they would move on from him. And, you know, last, the last thing I'll say about this, and, and this is a tweet that uh, you put out and that is currently uh, on the front page article of DBB, uh, Black general manager, black coach, black city. Um, I think now is the time for that to happen in Detroit. I'm very glad that it did. And and I would be shocked to see 
uh, the Pistons as an organization move away from that structure. I think, um, you know, we could talk a long time about this, but uh, the NBA and the NFL in particular have been two leagues who the bulk of the overwhelming majority of the earners are black men and the overwhelming majority of the owners, the management and the coaches are white men. Uh, and I think now is as as good a time as any to change that uh, in Detroit. And I'm really glad to see it happen. Yeah, me, me too, for, for what that's worth. Um, I do think that you, you hit on a lot of great points and I want to echo one in particular that uh, Tom Gores is uh, a rich man, but he does not want to pay two coaches for three years. I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's probably uh, as good a reason as any to keep Dwayne Casey around. Um, I think that again, like, as you mentioned, Dwayne Casey, the human being is a valuable person to have around to set that culture for a team that um, doesn't like know what its identity is right now because they're so young, because um, the team has is, is rebuilding. And so I think having like, in addition to having Dwayne Casey, the, the man and the human being around, I think that, you know, him, just what he offers from a, from a culture perspective is really valuable. Um, I, you know, I questioned previously on this podcast whether or not Dwayne Casey would even kind of want to be here because this is not the job he signed up to. This isn't the team he signed up to coach two years ago, right? Like he, he signed up to elevate a team that was uh, just outside of the playoffs to a surefire longtime playoff team. That hasn't happened. Um, but in everything uh, since the season was put on hiatus um, from his comments about, you know, you know, I've done this in Toronto before, uh, you know, rebuilding from a very low uh, place and he has confidence he can do it again from the, the comments you mentioned about uh, how uh, how well he was able to draw parallels between uh, what was happening when like he was a young man growing up in the South versus uh, versus uh, what's happening in the streets today. I think that that perspective is very valuable and uh, very valued in the Pistons front office. And, um, and again, like, I think what, uh, and, you know, from a, from a necessarily like an X's and O's perspective, um, I don't think that's what this team is really in search of right now, because, you know, you could be the, best tactician X's and O's uh, person in the league right now. But with this talent level on this Pistons team, like you're not going to win that many games anyway. And so just like what Dwayne Casey uh, doesn't necessarily like offer from a coaching perspective is not like what this Pistons team needs anyway. And so uh, Dwayne Casey brings a lot of the elements that this Pistons team does need. And so I do think that um, this will be uh, a continuing relationship uh, between him and the Detroit Pistons. And, you know, honestly, for what it's worth, I'm glad to have Dwayne Casey around. Um, and that and we didn't always say that was the case earlier, but, but it's good to have Dwayne Casey around now. Something else uh, we wanted to talk about was what the hire of Troy Weaver might mean for some of the other uh, current Pistons players on the roster. Um, I'm thinking in particular about guys who are either uh, have a more veteran status like Derek Rose, like Blake Griffin, or, you know, in particular, a guy like Luke Kennard, who the team has a really big decision on, on whether or not to extend him or let him go to restricted free agency, 
or uh, you know, do something with him prior to it getting to that place. So, so Ben, what do you think that the hire Troy Weaver means for uh, for the roster? This is going to be really interesting to watch play out, Laz. I think there are some questions where the equations essentially remain at least mostly the same. Um, you know, I think, for example, of Derrick Rose, if it is the case that Ed Stefanski sort of had this handshake agreement that they weren't going to trade him unless he wanted to be traded in spite of what's written in the contract, you know, well, Ed Stefanski's still here, right? So maybe that limits Weaver's options with respect to Derrick Rose. With Kennard, I think it probably comes down to two or maybe three things. Uh, first one, the injury concerns obviously remain at the forefront of the conversation. The second one is the dollar amount. The Pistons are in the driver's seat, fortunately, uh, because they have him on his look, uh, rookie contract looking into restricted free agency. Uh, but then third and maybe most importantly is the talent evaluation component of this. I think last somewhere you've either said this or you left it in a comment pre podcast. Um, Weaver tends to like athletes. You know, Kennard, for all his strength, is certainly not a, a fantastic athlete. Uh, so maybe that changes the equation a little bit. You know, Blake Griffin, I think things sort of remain the same. Uh, it, it's mostly about his health. What kind of player can he be, given how healthy he is or isn't? How many games can he play? Especially, Laz, as we think about next season, whenever that is and whatever that looks like. If it's an abbreviated schedule with more back-to-backs, how does that change an assessment of Blake Griffin? You know, that's a question Weaver's going to have to answer. Um, you know, but with the rest of these guys sort of on the periphery, I would not be at all surprised to see uh, Weaver sort of start fresh. Some of those Kyrie Thomas kind of names, Jordan Bone, um, you know, those guys who are never really panned out, but maybe are still worth a flyer somewhere. Um, you know, if it were me, I could see just sort of moving on and, and moving forward uh, with a clean slate. You know, in spite of the fact that Stefanski's still around, you know, that might be something I sort of tried to leverage, right? Let, let me do this over. Let me do the second round picks moving forward and start over, start from scratch there. No, yeah, that makes Oof. I, I when I think about a guy like a Kyrie Thomas who just hasn't between the injuries and I supposedly like the you know the lack of uh, development just hasn't gotten a chance to to prove himself with Detroit like that is definitely a guy who I could see on the outside looking in at, under a, a new front office and that's no that's no shade to Kyrie it just that's kind of it is what it is. Uh. The you did mention that Luke Kennard is not classically the type of player that the uh, that Troy Weaver has uh, has favored. He is not the type of player that the Oklahoma City Thunder have have traditionally favored over the last decade plus. And so, yeah, I would be very curious to see what uh, what kind of priority this Detroit Pistons team places on retaining Luke Kennard. Um, you know, as we know, like Luke was in trade talks uh, prior to the hire of Troy Weaver. And so I definitely think that there's uh, some some appetite for uh, a departure for Luke. But at the same time, like what Luke offers in terms of offensive creativity is something that's very valuable. And so you don't want to give up too early on a, or not get enough in, in trade for a guy like Luke Kennard 
who was playing really well when he did play this season prior to uh prior to the injuries um and i think as far as uh as like as far as blake griffin goes um i would be curious to see um if they if they don't trade him just to have as Dwayne casey has said multiple times an adult in the locker room right like if i'm thinking about from a player development perspective i'm thinking how i want my young guys to see how hard a guy like blake griffin works uh every day to make himself a better nba player or uh to to come back from the the injuries um i I want my guys to to have good examples of what it means to be an nba player in the locker room and uh and so i i think blake offers value in that way whether that's enough value to keep him on the team, it kind of remains to be seen. And it also kind of matters if Blake wants to be here. But I think that Weaver Weaver has shown that like he has good he's able to build good relationships with star level players. Um, obviously, very close with Russell Westbrook, very close with James Harden. Um, I think that you know he'll he'll and Blake's a very honest and open guy. I think that they'll be able to have a good conversation. And uh, say what the other, what, say what one expects of the other, and kind of meet a compromise, and 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 keep everybody informed of how that development is going. Um, but yeah, and to go back to some of the smaller guys, like yeah, like Kyrie Thomas, like uh, even like a guy like Thon Maker, who Dwayne Casey has liked, um, but again, like does not fit the traditional model of what uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, the Oklahoma City Thunder have, have been after. Um, I think that that. Uh, it's looking tough for those guys, but you brought up Jordan Bone though, and I think Jordan Bone kind of is the type of athlete and uh, you know floor general that the Oklahoma City Thunder have been interested in. So I think that you know if anybody should be happy about this development, it, it might be Jordan Bone. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Uh, you look at the athletes that Oklahoma Oklahoma City has acquired. We named a handful of them earlier. You know, a guy that I was surprised didn't see more opportunities, right? At the end of uh, – the, it's not the previous season, is it? At the end of this season? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think certainly the writing's on the wall for Thon Maker. And when you talked about um, – he, he's not necessarily the kind of guy that Oklahoma City might want. You know, part of me wants to say snarkily, well, yeah, that's because the Thunder want good players. And <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, Ben, we, we've talked a lot about uh, what Troy Weaver has to work with as far as the roster goes. We've talked a lot about uh, his strengths. Uh, if you put yourself into the mind of Troy Weaver, what what would your first priority be this offseason? There are so many good answers to this question, Laz. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. The thing that feels most pressing to me is getting at how healthy – is Blake Griffin, how healthy is Luke Kennard? Because to me, those are two financial decisions that you've got to try to make sooner rather than later. Are you going to kind of do this thing that you explained, keep Blake Griffin around if he wants to be here with the understanding that, you know, maybe we can't fully retool until his contract off, is off the books, but maybe it's worth having a guy like him around, not only because he's still pretty productive when he's healthy, but because he is the adult in the room, right? So maybe um, understanding how healthy is Blake Griffin, how many games can I expect to get out of him in a normal 82-game season, how much will I need to rest him 
right? So all of that insider proprietary information that the Pistons have uh, is something that I'm, I'm going to be wanting to get at. He's obviously the largest contract in franchise history. Uh, he's eating up a lot of the cap, even though the Pistons have a lot to work with, as you mentioned, going into the next offseason. I'd really want to start there. How healthy is Blake Griffin? And then I think this, the part B of that is Luke Kennard. Um, you hold all the cards in terms of being uh, th- the franchise that holds his right going into restricted free agency. I think if you were to pay him market value, then even if you don't necessarily see him as a long-term piece, he's still an asset. Um, but I think the mistake that you could make uh, is overpaying him, especially if there's something lingering about his durability, right? I mean, 50 to 60 games a season just isn't enough if you're considering you know, paying him real starter sort of money. So I think getting at the health of Blake Griffin first and foremost um, related to that, does he still want to be here? Does he want to stay? And then the health of this soon-to-be-restricted free agent Luke Kennard would be something I'd focus in on uh, day one. Yeah, I think that the thing I would definitely prioritize is communication with Blake Griffin, just because that's your that's your star. You need to know where he's where he is at in his rehab. You need to know where he's at uh, mentally if he's. Uh, excited and prepared to be a part of the Detroit Pistons or if he's looking for alternatives just so I can be accommodating to him um, and be gracious and build that relationship. That would be, that would be priority one. Um, My second priority would be to honestly evaluate everyone uh, that's in the Pistons current front office. Um, I, you, a GM, I need to know how many of my own people I need to bring in. And I need to know, you know, which of the current front office staff are are worth keeping. So that would be like you got to I don't know if you're doing if you're doing interviews, you're doing phone calls. Um, if maybe you, if you're a guy like Troy Weaver with a lot of connections around the league, you already have guys that you have in mind uh, to bring into your front office. Um, you know, you've got those long term relationships. And so like I think. Uh, after yeah, after you, you make that first phone call to Blake Griffin and see where he's where he's at, and then you start the you start the one on one meetings with everybody to see uh, to see if the they still need to be with the front office organization, and that's that's a that's a really like rough bloodless way to think about uh, the job, like, uh, you know, having you know fifteen or twenty you know thirty minute interviews about whether or not I should fire this person, and like that's that's part of the reason why like i you know i don't envy these guys a lot of the time those are those are very difficult conversations to have and very uh very difficult decisions to make you know more power to to troy weaver for for having to do that and you know i suspect we'll we'll see some of that in the uh in the current weeks to come um i i'm not as concerned with luke Kennard just because like you mentioned earlier in the podcast the the off season that is coming for this uh for this business team is going to be so extended that um, you you hold all the the team holds all the cards, and so I don't have to make a move on that uh, right away. If that makes sense. All right, Ben, uh, that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about regarding Troy Weaver. Is there anything else that uh, you want to talk about on the pod? So, Laz, what's your gut feeling? Are we going to have an NBA season that starts next month in Florida, like we thought we were going to have? I mean. We've seen some reporting over the last couple of days 
there's growing skepticism and concern from the players all the way up to actual NBA officials about the public health crisis going on right there. If it were me, right, if I were working for a team in any capacity and I was asked to live inside of that bubble, the NBA bubble down in Florida, I would be feeling, I think, a little bit nervous at the moment. So gut gut feeling, gut reaction, are we going to start an NBA season a month from now in Florida? I think the answer, my gut says yes. My gut says there's too much at stake to not give it a try. Uh, between, you know, for, for the owners, uh, for the governors, it's a chance to recoup some of the money that they have already lost um, with the cessation and delay of the season. For the players, it's the it's the same thing. Um, also for a select number of players, players who honestly think they have a chance to win a championship, it's a chance to, you know, to do that. To that's why you play basketball to win championships. And so I think there are some players with with that definitely in mind. But yeah, I mean, with everything we're seeing out of Florida, I understand and agree with your trepidation. Um, my, uh, you know, reading, reporting from Baxter Holmes and Zach Lowe this morning on ESPN, um, a lot of league and team officials are kind of, you know, crossing their fingers and saying, you know, you know, we don't get down there for another three weeks. Like maybe things start to figure themselves out in three weeks. I don't know how, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I know that, um, teams won't be teams and players won't be, uh, as exposed as other uh, individuals in Florida will be, they they won't be you know moving through the the airport in the same way because of chartered flights, right? Uh, they're they're not going to be going in just like anybody's Uber, right? Like they have team approved transportation. Um, I fully expect there will be some guys who, when they get to Florida and start the daily testing, I fully expect there will be some guys who test positive. Um, I don't know if they're going to do the um, the uh the the testing that says like you you've already you've already had covid and you just didn't know it um i I wonder if uh, we'll see some cases that sprung out from that some guys that realized they had covid19 um and were were asymptomatic um but yeah there's there's and you know the the plan that we've seen laid out from the nba um you know takes into account that there are going to be players who test positive and like the show's not going to stop and so like that, that lets me know that this thing, I don't think this thing is going to stop um, until it becomes uh, until and if it becomes like readily apparent that like half the league has COVID and you just like, absolutely can't do anything. I, th- I think this is going to continue. And so, yeah, it's we'll see, man. We'll see. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think the league has pretty much. Uh, set the ball in motion and there's there's not going to be a stop to that momentum I don't think what will be interesting to me is you know a couple things there's obviously the public health crisis that's a big deal Uh, it'll be interesting to see how individuals who have flexibility to make decisions actually choose to make them right so there are some relatively old coaches for example head coaches uh, assistant coaches and so on who are maybe feeling nervous you know individual players who maybe aren't as nervous about the public health 
side of the conversation, but have been very involved in some of the social issues going on in our country right now. I think one of the things that was particularly interesting to me is this conversation happening among the athletes themselves. You know, if we get back to playing basketball, are we going to consume too much of the country's attention when it should be focused at other things right now. That's an interesting conversation. I'm, I'm curious to see uh, where these men choose to focus their priorities and their time. I'm hopeful that they'll be able to do both at the same time, uh, that they can stay safe playing basketball, uh, but also continuing to, to use the platform that being a professional athlete gives them to continue to keep the conversation alive, uh, to continue to keep it on the forefront of the national consciousness. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think um, we're going to have some sort of a season. I really, really hope they can do this safely. Um, you know, we all want to see basketball. Uh, the players want to go compete. Um, and and I, I really hope they can pull it off well. Yeah, me, me too. Me too. And, you know, with everything we've learned about the NBA's plan, I think they're – there is a not insignificant chance they could pull it off, right? If if the social distancing is is uh, abided by, if you know you take some extra precautions and guys are wearing masks and everything, um, we know that the uh, Disney is attempting to limit the exposure of players to uh, staff that are going to be kind of in and out of the bubble. I think that's that's a good thing. Um, I, th- I think that, you know, if everyone does what they're supposed to do, I definitely think it has a chance at working. Um, the question is just like, you know, it, it's a long, t- if you're a playoff team and you're in the bubble for, for two months, two and a half months, three months, that's a long time to not see your family. That's a long time to kind of eat the same, you know, six things that are offered to you <laughs> uh, time and time again. It's a long time to, uh, to only be able to, to play video games or whatever. And so, like you, I wonder about the the human side of uh, of the players as well. Um, you know, there'll be there'll be a lot of opportunities to play basketball, but uh, I don't know how many opportunities there will, there will be to do anything else. Yep. All right, Ben. Uh, it's been a fun podcast. It's good to have stuff to podcast about. Honestly, <laughs> let the people know where uh, where they can find you, where they can find out what you are uh, up to on this uh, Father's Day. I've pretty much been off of my social media today, enjoying the humid, hot Michigan summer with my little ones. Um, When basketball starts, I'll be talking about basketball on Twitter again. So that'll be a nice change, I'm sure, for some people who interact with me on Twitter. At BR Gulker, always in the comments threads for sure of the podcast post at DBB. Uh, Be looking forward to talking some basketball again very soon, hopefully. No, definitely. And of course, uh, you guys can always find me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. You can always find me in the comments at Detroit Bad Boys. And yeah, I will also just be excited to have basketball things to talk about. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you for staying with us as we release kind of a little bit more irregularly than uh, than we're used to. Um, Thanks for sticking with us. Um, We will talk to you guys in the future. See ya.